So I had the strangest possible weekend last week that I can even imagine. Uh, so I left uh, the office here sometime in the middle of the afternoon on Friday because I had some mowing to do. I spent a couple hours mowing on the farm. Some of you know what I'm talking about. About 5 or 6 o'clock, I went inside. I was done with it, and I, uh, I, just, uh, I just went in. And I sat down on the couch and started to hurt from... You know, and when you're bald, it hurts more on the top of your head and all the way to the bottom of my feet with this really intense pain in my back. And I'm lying there, and I fell asleep. I fell asleep, and according to Karen, I slept until Monday. I really did. I, I remember trying to wake up, going, uh, it hurts too much to be conscious. So about... You know, I mean, it was, but then by Monday, I just started perking up and feeling better by Tuesday and great by Wednesday. And uh, I was talking to one of our friends, Chester, about this, and, and he, he said in the most loving, non-critical tones, he said this, he said, uh, well, you didn't really expect to take Babylon without a fight, did you? <laughs> He's right. He's absolutely right. And uh, Karen woke me up about 5.30 or 6 on Saturday. What? She said, do you think maybe you should call Tony? (laughs) Who's Tony? (laughs) Why would I call him? So I call him and sick tomorrow. I'll be fine. I told him I'll be fine tomorrow, I'm sure. But you probably better put something in your back pocket just in case. So Karen woke me up again about 7 o'clock the next morning and said something or another. I don't know. And I figure out how to text Tony. Whatever came across was, you're up. (laughs) You know what he said to me when I called him? He said, that's what I'm here for. Now you get a call 15 hours before you're supposed to preach, eight of which should be committed to sleep. And he says, that's what I'm here for. And I want to tell you, I listened to that message. I listened to that message online. And that was a powerful message that he brought. And uh, one of the things he said was, you know, we're going to take a break from the Taking Babylon series. And yet the message that he brought, surviving the offensive, couldn't have fit more perfectly into what we're talking about. So we're going to count that as message number four in the Taking Babylon series, all right? All right. So we're going to be moving on in this series, which will probably only be a couple of more weeks long. I've had a few adjustments in my thinking along the way. And uh, Babylon, just to bring you up to speed if you're newer here, Babylon is the symbolic seat of the power of Satan in the Bible. Babylon is the symbolic seat, seat of power for Satan in the Bible. And we need to take it over by the power of Jesus Christ, is what we need to do. And we are engaged in a critical battle, and each one of you, as followers of Jesus Christ, is an essential part of it. You need to know that you're not just here to get saved. You need to get saved, but that ain't all there is. That's the beginning of something in your walk with the Lord, and part, an essential part of the walk with the Lord is to function well as a warrior within his army. 
Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the enemy. And uh, we are the warriors in this army. So it is not a matter of getting saved and holding on, reading your Bible, praying your prayers until Jesus comes back. It's about all of that and saying, Lord, what is my part in this battle? And until we neutralize the enemy, until we neutralize him and take Babylon, the church will always be in retreat. The church will always be on the defense, just trying to do the best they can in the world in which they find themselves. And I'm not satisfied with that. And you're not satisfied with that. Because the Bible calls us to take Babylon. So thus far in this series, we've talked about the mission of the battle is to push back the enemy in our own lives. Aren't you about done with him? Push back the enemy in your own life, in your own world, in your own circumstances. But also to sign up as an agent of rescue for those who are waiting for you to come and be used by the power of God to rescue them out of their predicaments. That's the mission. The stakes in the second series, or, or, or the third message was, or was high, second message, I guess it was, that the eternal souls of billions of people are, are hanging in the balance. That we are called to fight this fight because the eternal souls of billions of people are hanging in the balance. The Bible says there's a heaven, there's a hell after this, and that a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the only thing that makes the difference between the two. It's not about religion, it's about relationship. The Bible says there is one mediator between man and God, one mediator, and that's the man Jesus Christ. And so people are waiting for us to fight this, to come and reach them, and somebody fought it so that we could be reached, yes? And also the stakes in this battle are the next generation. For generations, people faithfully fought this battle so that we could have our salvation. And we must be engaged in this battle for those who are coming behind us. In the next message, whatever number it was, we talked about the enemy. I didn't particularly care for preaching that message, but we talked about the enemy because we need to know who our foe is, and that is that Satan is a powerful but finite foe. He's powerful, but he's finite. He is not unlimited. He is not infinite. He is finite. And God is exponentially, not even exponentially, infinitely greater. And you're on God's side. You are accessing God's power. And your enemy's primary mission is to do what? To steal the glory of God. From the beginning, it was his intention, it was his agenda to be God, to steal the glory of God. And that explains why he hates you so much as a believer, because you get up to give God glory. And that's why he hates churches like ours who are passionate about their worship so much. Because we come together and collectively we give God glory without inhibition, without embarrassment. We just, we just give it up for God. And that gives him glory and increases the target on us. But to that I say, as long as we're under the power of Jesus Christ, I say bring it. Bring it. And then last week... Uh, Tony brought that message, surviving the offensive, and how important it is for us to retreat, even in the midst of the battle, even in the midst of the battle. And I could see that he spent more time watching Band of Brothers than reading his Bible, but he, uh, <laughs> you knew he wasn't going to get away with all this, these accolades without injury somewhere, right? What a beautiful way of uh, bringing that. I was especially touched as I was listening to that message 
by his account of the soldier whose lieutenant came and said, are you expecting to survive this? You'll get on with this when you know that you're already dead. My son Brad had a dream a couple of years ago. He came and told me about it. He and I were in some kind of a situation. And uh, he got that word in this dream, already dead. We were going to have that tattooed somewhere on our bodies. (laughs) But I'm too much of a coward. (laughs) We're already dead, beloved. We're already dead. We're already dead. We're already dead. The Bible says that our citizenship is not here, but our citizenship is in heaven. We're already dead. So there's nothing to lose. There's nothing to lose. There's nothing to be afraid of because we're already dead. Well, that'll bring you up to speed on the series today. I'd like to talk with you about the authority, the authority that we have to be engaged in this battle and why that's important. Because an essential part of any battle is to fully believe, listen, an essential part of any battle is to fully believe that you have the authority to fight it. Did you know that? You have to believe that you have the authority from someone who is capable of granting authority to fight it. No soldier is going to fight a fight without having the authority of a commanding officer. You've got to know you have that. In our society, we have a very limited, limited authority to fight. Have you noticed this? In general, only if we feel that our life is in danger as an act of self-defense, are we authorized then to fight. We have a very limited authority to fight. I find that frustrating that we can't ram people on 270. I, I find that... I would li- wouldn't you, how many of you would like that authority? You go out and get yourself a big three-quarter ton pickup truck with a plow on the front and duels on the back, right? Wait for that next idiot to make a ch- lane change like that. Kick that hammy in and just push him wherever you want. Come on. If your neighbor's dog keeps pooping in your yard, turns out you can neither shoot the dog or your neighbor. Am I right? And the way our society is going, it looks like you get in more trouble for shooting the dog than the neighbor. Have you noticed this? In the international society, we have a very limited authority to fight. We just can't go out and start wars because we feel like it. But here's the deal. The truth is, is that we have been fully authorized by Jesus Christ to take Babylon. Fully authorized. In this verse here in Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Now, if you can resist the temptation to think about snakes and scorpions, there's something there for you. And that's really an important exercise in context again. We talk a lot about context and understanding context if we're going to understand the Bible here, right? Yes? Say yes. It's important. And the con- to whom was Jesus speaking when he said these words? He was speaking to people who lived in a place where there are literal scorpions and poisonous snakes on the ground. Yes? And so in context, he said, I'm going to give you guys authority. And in the process of doing this, if you have to step on scorpions and poisonous snakes, they will not harm you. Now, I don't know about you, but... It's been a long time in Grove City since I've seen a scorpion on the ground or a poisonous snake. So I have no interest in going and collecting some and bringing them into the church to test the veracity of this verse. It's out of context. Context, context, context. 
What Jesus is saying to us here in context is, I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. Did you hear that? That's what's in context here. And had he been speaking directly to us, he might say some other things in specific context that wouldn't be scorpions and snakes. Maybe survive 270. I don't know. But you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus has given us authority not to go out and crush reptiles and arachnids, but he's given us authority to overcome the power of the enemy, defeat the works of Satan. Jesus also said, when he was risen from the dead, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. You see what's happening here. He's resurrected. And he says, all authority has been given to me. Well, where did he get that? What do you mean given? Didn't he have it? No, remember in Philippians 2, he laid down his authority in order to come and function among us as the Son of Man to give his life on the cross. Now that he has completed in full obedience, it says in Philippians 2, obedient even to death on a cross that God exalted him to the highest place, it says. So he was given his authority back as the Son of God. So he said, all authority has been given to me. And he's saying, now you guys go. Go in my authority. And do what? What's it say? Make disciples. Make disciples. Make disciples. People are waiting for us, and you're authorized to do it. You might be a person who says, you know, what business would I have of sharing the gospel with someone? That business right there. The business of your Savior who said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And in John chapter 14, in verse 12, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He says, he'll do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And so when Jesus said this, he says he's completed his mission on earth, he's returning to the Father, and he set up a mechanism by his being the intermediary between us and the Father and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where we can do not only the works that he did, but even greater things than these. So we should be expecting to see the move of God, including signs and wonders, in any faithful church, in any church that releases faith. Everywhere. And this is part of the authority. This is something together that I like to call kingdom authority. And kingdom authority is the permission that God gives us to aggressively advance against the works of the enemy. Luke 19, 10, 19, like I just showed you. To assertively evangelize the lost with the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, and also to expect to see powerful signs and wonders in our midst. This is the authority that God is releasing to us. And and here's the deal, guys. Uh, You very much need to receive this authority as an act of your will. It's part of the relationship with God, saying, I receive that authority. I don't reject that authority. I'm not neutral about that authority but I actively receive that authority. Because there's a very important relationship between power and authority. I want you to think about this now. There's a very important relationship between power and authority. And you're putting some kid's name up there right now, aren't you? Gotta be. Move that when you can, would you? 
I think we're going to do something about that. Maybe just get rid of all the kids, because they sure are messing up my slides. Let me get a chance to move that to the next one. There's an important relationship between power and authority. Because one without the other is really quite useless, if you think about it. If one has power, but no authority to use it, that power is really useless, isn't it? If one has authority, but no power, then there's no opportunity to actively be effective in your mission. There's many, many examples of this. Thank you. Many examples of this in our society. I think one of, one of my favorites is as a taxpayer, which I'm assuming most of you are, as a taxpayer, you at least have a theoretical access, theoretical access to the power of the U.S. military, don't you? You're buying the stuff, right? You're paying for the stuff. It protects you, correct? So you have theoretical access to the power of the U.S. military. But unless you're a soldier, you have zero authority to use it, right? You can't just show up at Fort Whatever and say, I'd like to take a tank out for a spin, right? I have this recurring fantasy in my mind that... That some general calls me and says, well, Mr. Parkett, uh, we're doing a citizen tank drive program, and uh, we'd like to drop off a tank into your farm for a couple of weeks. And uh, how many of you guys would come over then if I had a tank over there to drive around? Yeah. How many of you got some neighbors maybe you'd like me to zero in on for you? No. No. Power. All the power is there. But zero authority to use it. Maybe a more relevant, more, more relevant illustration would be at a Blue Jackets game. You're at a Blue Jackets game. How many of you have a fantasy to drive the Zamboni? Come on. Come on. Carl, I know you do. Don't say, well, raise your hand. You're not too cool to raise your hand. Come on. You're cool, but not that cool. Uh, yeah, you got that. I mean, Greg, come on. I mean, who wouldn't want to drive that Zamboni, right? And there's all that power. And everybody looking at you while you're doing it just to see if you're getting that slick, Ice behind you just right, right? But we have zero authority. Nobody's going to let me drive the Zamboni. They've got to win a ride on the Zamboni thing down there, you know, or they draw your name and you get to ride and wave. I don't want to wave. I want to drive that sucker, you know? Don't you? So power without authority is absolutely useless. It is essential that we receive this authority of Christ if we're going to be effectively accessing the power of God. Now listen very carefully to this. I think many believers, many believers, may be living much less than effective lives because while they fully believe in the power of God, they have not come to the place of receiving His authority to access it. And you might be thinking of yourself right now. I'm not thinking of you. That's an evaluation you'd have to make for yourself. But I think there, there are many Christians who are living survival, defensive lives, though they fully believe in the power of God. There is not a doubt in their mind that God has power. And God has power to come and move. There's no doubt. But they have never come to the place of receiving the authority. Receiving it. In order to be able to access that power. So your question is a simple one, is it? How do I get it? How do I access this authority? Go ahead and ask me. Okay. Two things. Number one, 
by understanding what kind of authority it is. What kind of authority is this? And I think it's important to realize that this is a conferred authority. We'll call it conferred. It's something that's conferred on us by God as believers. Think about it this way. We are each one born with some natural authority. It doesn't have to be conferred on us. It just comes with the program. For example, Sydney, we have, we're born with the authority to breathe oxygen, right? We don't have to get like a breathing license or anything. We can just come right out and, and off we go, right? Nobody says, hey, you're not ready to breathe yet. You've got to take this class and get this test, right? Nobody does that. It's a natural authority, right? Apparently, parenting is a natural authority that's extended to us. Though I think maybe in many cases it should be a conferred authority, but... Apparently, I have no say in that matter. So, uh, it's a nat- these are things that we're born with. It's an authority that we don't have to ask permission. We just go. Well, Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 21, he said, he said, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. So I'm sending you. How has the Father sent him? With, a, with the Father's authority. This is a part of a much bigger theological picture about something we call Christology, or the nature of Christ. But the summary is that he's functioning here under the Father's authority. And as the Father has sent me, he says, now I send you. So now we're functioning under the authority of the Son, Jesus Christ. We're functioning under his authority. And so that's conferred on us. And, And it's the same authority for every believer. Charlie, you have the same authority as me. Sarita, Bill, you have the same authority as anybody else. It's a, it's a conferred authority that is available to every single believer. And I also want you to think of it this way. It's a positional authority. By virtue of your position as a son and daughter of the living God. John 1.12 says this. Yet to all who received him, all who received Christ. Have you received Christ? Yes or no? Yes. To all who believed in his name. Do you believe on his name? Yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. He gave the right. And so this is, this is by virtue of our position then. You now have the right to call yourself a son and daughter of the living God because you believe in Jesus. Your faith is in Christ. So you're now a son and daughter of the living God. So by virtue of your position as a son or daughter of the living God, now you have this authority. So it's conferred to you. As a son and daughter, okay? So first of all, understanding that it's one that God is willing to confer to the believer. And then also by diligently, just what I call playing your position. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says, you are the body of Christ. That's the all y'all. That's in there. It says, all y'all are the body of Christ. Okay? And it says, and and each yuns is a part of it. (laughs) Okay? It's how that really goes. It says, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So we're the body of Christ collectively, and each one is a part of it. So that we have a specific part in it. And then it goes on with an explanation. is The parts had not to be looking at each other going, how come you get to be that? I want to be that. I just get to be this. And it goes on saying that God puts us in the body as he wills by his grace. And that the most effective way we will be engaged in this battle is to be playing our position. 
playing our position, not always looking over the fence. How come I got to do this and they get to do that? Listen, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, right? Some of you going, my, I wish I could be a pastor of a big church like Pastor Tom. Come be pastor for a day and see if you still feel that way, all right? (laughs) I love it because I'm called to it. You would hate it if you're not called to it. Finding your part and playing your position is key to accessing the combination of power and authority for your world. Did you hear that? Finding and playing your position diligently is key to accessing the the combination of power and authority in your life. So you're saying, well, how do I know what my position is, right? How can I even know that? Well, you'll know that because it comes at the intersection of three realities in your life. Your position comes at the intersection of your calling, your gifting, and your situation. Say, what? Say, what? Calling. God has a call on your life. God has a call on every believer, on the life of every believer. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. God has a plan for your life, David, your life. It may not be a vocational calling as mine is, as Tony's is. You would be disobedient to try to make it into a vocational calling unless God were calling you. Tony and I would be disobedient to try to do a second job because we're called to a vocational ministry. Does that make sense? You have a calling, and every person has a calling. And one of the terrible fallouts of the over-organization of the Western church is that we have begun to attach value with hierarchy. And somehow I'm, I'm pastor, so I'm supposed to be over something, which doesn't make any sense to me at all, biblically. And somehow we attach value to that. Like my, I have my ministry somehow has more value than your ministry as a chair setter upper person would be. Or somebody who teaches in a children's ministry. Or somebody who goes and feeds the poor. And we can't go there. First of all, there's no hierarchy. We're all in one big amorphous blob here. I'm a pastor, you look to me for certain things, and you want me to follow my calling, don't you? And you want me to use my gifting, which are three things. Intercession, teaching, and leadership. Now, I don't have a pastoral gifting, and I'm called to be a pastor. You know, I'm mostly not a very soft and fuzzy person, right? That's why we got Tony for you. said, honey, these people need somebody to be nice to them. I don't have any time or interest in that. (laughs) Listen, you're called, and you have gifts. You have specific spiritual gifts. God, if you don't know what those are, if that's a whole new concept, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, read through and see if you find some capacity that God has given you as a spiritual gift. You'll find a few in there and go, I think God's calling me to that. And then that intersects with your situation. What is your situation? God has placed you in the world, in a network of relationships, in your neighborhood, in your jobs, in your church, and all kinds of things that God has put you, has created a situation for you. Now, where your calling and your gifting and your situation intersect, where they intersect, you will find your most powerful, powerful expression of 
the power and authority of God. Now think about this just a little bit longer. It's at the intersection of these three realities that you will find your power and your authority. You see, you won't find it at mine, and I won't find it at yours. How many of you, like me, have tried to function outside of that intersection and go, whoa, i got to get back to where I belong? Anybody? I know. You're going to find your power intersecting and with, I mean, joining with your authority at the intersection of those places. So I, I thought about this on Thursday. I drove up to Michigan to get my mother-in-law, and uh, she's in the room, so I can't tell any mother-in-law jokes. So... <laughs> Anyway, she's a wonderful woman. Wonderful woman. Man, can she make a lemon meringue pie? Oh, baby. She's only made two for me in 40 years, but they were good. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm indebted to her for the two greatest gifts in my life. Because she was instrumental in my finding Jesus Christ and very instrumental in my finding Karen. And raise your hand, Lois, so everybody can see who you are. Give it up. There you go. So anyway, I was driving up to Michigan on Thursday, and I was kind of working on this message, which wasn't that hard because I already had it ready mostly for the week before. But did I tell you that I slept all weekend? <laughs> slept through church like some of you do? And <laughs> some of you just bother to come to do it. I get that. But. So I was driving up there and kind of stopping at different rest areas and kind of praying, thinking through things. And. I was sitting at a rest area, mile 15, lower Michigan there. That's where the speed limit changes to 105 as soon as you cross over there. Holy mackerel. And I pulled off for a while, and I was sitting there eating my leftover chicken from the night before. You know, it was lunchtime, and I was just watching things go on around me. And I was kind of sitting over there. You know how the cars are on one side and the trucks go on the other side? This big red Kenworth pulls in. Big tanker behind. I don't know, thousands of gallons. But, oh, it's beautiful. Look brand new. I mean, it's just shining big stacks and making all kinds of cool noises and stuff and guy got out and slammed the door you know and headed on into the thing and left her running you know I was pretty sure it was locked but it was running (laughs) so you know what's going through my mind right it's my turn to drive the Zamboni so I'm sitting there and I've driven a semi one time in a parking lot right a friend of mine another long story but not worth telling right now but uh so I've got a, a, you know, and I can drive a stick, but there's, it's a little more complicated than just driving a stick. And I, I sit in there fantasizing about jumping that Kenworth and heading up 23 there and think, I wonder how long it'd take me to get into real trouble, you know. <laughs> probably about the end of the ramp, probably, you know. But I started thinking about that. And I thought, well, there's an example of this huge power that just fascinates me. Power. But I have zero authority to access that power, Right. And I started thinking about that. I wonder why that guy gets it. Well, he's been through the classes and somebody hired him and all that. got a CDL, blah, blah, blah. And I got thinking about that and I thought, well, you know what? I've got a pilot's license. And I can, a couple hundred bucks if I wanted to, I'd go over to the Bolton Field and rent a plane for a while, about as much it costs you to rent a jet ski for the same amount of time. And I could go over and, because I have, there's power over there, I could go over and get one of those Cessnas. And I have authority to do that, right? Right, I've got authority and power. And I thought, I'll bet he doesn't have a pilot's license. (laughs) I'll bet here's how we are different. 
And so I waited for him to come back out. <laughs> and I went, hey, how you doing, man? He's like, yeah. And I said, I was just standing here admiring your truck. And I said, I got a strange question for you. He goes, what's that? I said, would you happen to have a private pilot's license? He's like, what? I said, oh, I'm working out something in my head. Would you have a private pilot's license? He goes, no. And I said, well, thanks a lot. And he walks away to his truck. I walk back to my chicken. And I was just thinking about that guy jamming gears for the rest of the day going, who was that crazy guy? He's in a Sunday school classroom in Michigan right now in the little sharing time going, I don't know, this crazy guy came up to me. I don't know. But I thought my theory was tested, was proven true. He has authority to access certain power that I don't have. I have authority to access power that he doesn't have. And we find those at the intersection, the vital intersection of these three things. And how many people sometimes drift away from seasons of power and authority that they're living in by losing focus on these three things, right? Okay. All right. So I don't think you can overstate the importance of not only believing in the power of God, but also having received the authority. So we're in this battle, and it's obvious probably to anybody paying attention that we're winning some and we're not winning others. And there are some heartbreaking situations in our church going on right now that uh, we, we would just pray to God that somehow he would in, intervene. We're not winning them all. But I still stand by the truth that Satan has no say over the days of our lives and the day of our death. Satan has no say over that. But I would like to invite you to do two things this morning. First, I'd like to invite you to commit or recommit your life to the calling of God on your life. I'd like for you to revisit that. And if you've never visited that before, it's a whole new topic of prayer for you. God, what, what are you calling me to? Some of you know, and you're in it. Some of you know if you've drifted from it. But just revisit that. Commit yourself to it. And I'd also like to invite you to intentionally receive the kingdom authority that God has for you. To intentionally say, okay, I want the authority that you have for me. Is it a truck driving license? Is it a pilot's license? What, what, what is your authority for me that matches the power, your power, that you want to be, use me as a vessel for? And we must engage the enemy with the unlimited power of God that's flowing from his throne. There is unlimited power of God flowing from the throne of God. And in many cases, it's flowing right past us because we haven't taken up the authority to grab hold of it. If we do this... If we engage the enemy with the unlimited power of God, we will win the battle. If we don't, we will lose it. But in order to win, in order to do that, we must receive and operate fully under his authority. So one of the most powerful expressions of receiving and announcing the authority of God was something that Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. You know the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven? And he gets to that part then where he says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's an announcement. That's not a request. You, understand, you need to understand how that prayer operates. That is not a request. That's an announcement. That's a pronouncement for you to stand over your life. 
God has given you the authority to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, over my marriage, over my job, over this sickness, over whatever it is that is in your situation. It is up to you to announce the coming of the kingdom of God. And that's a way of receiving the authority. So what I want you to do this morning is I want you to consider doing this, is to just lay your whole life symbolically somehow out before you and say, Lord, I believe in your power. Now I want to receive your authority. And when we sing, your kingdom come, your will be done, I want you to just visualize the power of God coming and penetrating all the details of your life for his glory. That you're not asking, you're telling. You're not asking. You're not asking, could you make some of your kingdom come and will be done over here? You're telling. You're saying, what's in front of me, the thing that's called my life, my situation, my circumstances, I'm standing over it as one who has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, a son and daughter of the living God, one upon whom has been conferred this authority, and I'm saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's stand and do that.